Broadcasting across the galaxy, you're listening to Radio Dakar, a Star Wars podcast dedicated to the animated series Star Wars Resistance. Hello everyone, and welcome to the first episode of Radio Dakar. Uh, This is a Star Wars podcast that will focus on the upcoming animated series Star Wars Resistance. Uh, That is a series that will premiere on Disney in fall of 2018, probably around October. My name is Doug Brooks, and this podcast will be dedicated to episode reviews and discussion about the series and Star Wars talk in general regarding the sequel era of the Resistance of the First Order. I thought I would use this first episode uh, to get to know me a little bit better, uh, talk about my history with Star Wars, and then next episode I will get into what the series should be about. So, I have been a Star Wars fan literally my whole life. I was born in March of 77, and of course A New Hope came out in May of 77. So it's been a part of my life from the beginning. My parents, uh, even though I don't remember this, they took me to the drive-in to see Star Wars that summer. No memories of the movie, of course. My mom tells me every time the music swelled and the John Williams score really kicked in that my eyes got really bright and that I was amazed by what I was watching. When I got older, I was three years old when we saw The Empire Strikes Back, and I don't remember much of that either. I barely remember going to the theater to see it. don't remember the big reveal. I Am Your Father has been part of my memories since I can, as far as I can go back. But it was around then that they started buying me the Kenner toys, and Santa brought me the Millennium Falcon and the 12-inch figures, and everything else. So by the time I was six and Return of the Jedi was coming out, I was ready. I was fully immersed in Star Wars. Couldn't wait till opening night. Uh, My dad took me. Of course he tried to fool me when it says a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away and Star Wars appears on the screen as it did the other two times. He's like, oh, we're in the wrong movie. But no, it was episode six. Even though I don't remember one through three. I asked my mom, "This I know Roman numerals. This is four through six. Where's the other three? She says, they never made them. I don't know. But seeing Return of the Jedi on opening night was a great memory of my childhood. The first time I ever heard an audience cheer was in Jabba's palace when the skiff guard pulled down his mask and you realize that Lando was undercover. The crowd went crazy for a hidden returning character. I lost my mind when Luke ignited the green lightsaber. I could not believe there was another color that you could use and that he had made his own lightsaber to fight against Darth Vader. It was just incredible. And of course the ending with the Death Star being destroyed by the Rebellion and victory over the Emperor and Darth Vader. I was happy with the ending of the series. I thought that might be all we get. 
I was hoping for more. Had no idea what was coming. What also made Return of the Jedi special was that was the first time when I really immersed myself in behind the scenes uh, behind the scenes material. I got the collector's book. Uh, I got the behind the scenes magazine that talked about how they made the creatures and the matte paintings and all the movie magic. That's where I first learned about Skywalker Sound, Industrial Light and Magic. Those companies have been in my head the whole time. Uh, I also got Mad Magazine's parody, where they had one panel. It was amazing. It's Lando when they're arriving at the Death Star, and he says, we got to show the Empire this isn't some sort of Mickey Mouse operation. And, of course, the co-pilot was Mickey. Little did we know that years later, the mouse would play a very important part in bringing Star Wars back. I continued to get the toys. The Kenner line ran a couple of years after the release of the movie, till about 1985. I got as many of them as I could. I never watched the Droids or Ewoks animated series. I think I watched both of the Ewok live-action movies. Don't have them on tape. Don't have any true memories of them. But I had the trilogy on VHS. I could watch it anytime I wanted. I watched it over and over. I played the characters at home. I put on a vest and played Han. I grabbed my toy lightsaber and played Luke. I even played Lando with a blanket as the cape getting choked out by Chewy, i.e. one of my stuffed animals. It was just very important to me. Uh, the whole fantasy realm and how magic everything was in the movie. And I didn't want to let that go, but as far as I knew, there was nothing else coming. And kid growing up in the 80s, I had other things to pique my interest at that time. I had G.I. Joe, Transformers, uh, Thundercats, Silverhawks, Mask, plenty of other things that could divert my attention, but I still always had a sweet spot for Star Wars. A big milestone was for the 10th anniversary in 1987, Starlog magazine, which, if you're not old enough to remember, it was a tremendous magazine. It was uh, kind of a science fiction, all-purpose book. It talked about new releases and upcoming projects, uh, like some good retrospective articles. But to commemorate the 10th anniversary of the release of the first Star Wars, Starlog did a mostly Star Wars-only edition in the summer of 1987. That magazine was actually the first time I'd ever heard of Doctor Who. Uh, they talked about that series, even though it was years away from getting uh, renewed. But there were all these quotes from George Lucas and Mark Hamill and all the other people involved in the first three where they talked about George's plans for other movies. It mentioned, and it's become a popular quote again because of what has happened, but Mark Hamill talking about, oh, I talked to George and he wants me to come back and play Luke again in 2011 when he's really old and can pass on knowledge to the next generation. So I was like, oh, there might be 789. Maybe that is true. 
going to be great to see Luke teaching Jedi. And of course they mention, yeah, there is plans for 1, 2, 3. You have to see the fall of the Jedi, the rise of the Empire, how Anakin became Darth Vader, what happened to Obi-Wan, what happened to Darth Vader's wife, the mother of Luke and Leia. That was there. Uh, George, in one quote, gave a very, uh, in some sense, broad, but he talked about, I wish I had the quote in front of me, but it was, the first three uh, will be more Machiavellian, more plotting. Uh, it won't have as much um, action as the other three. Uh, maybe it'll be more humorous. He was kind of, I don't, I don't know exactly, but here's the basis. But for a 10-year-old, I was thinking, so he has ideas for these other movies. I want this to happen. Uh, so, as they say in the movies, I had hope. Um, there was a speculative article that talked about, you know, what would the first three be like? Well, you, you have to deal with the Clone Wars. What are they? Who are the clones? And you have to have this relationship between Obi-Wan and Anakin and Lady Skywalker, which was the best we could come with, up with at the time for her name. And then will the droids be there? They've been around for a while. And then if they do another trilogy after, what happens? It's the offspring of these heroes, you know, do Han and Leia have kids? What does Luke? Does the Millennium Falcon become an inheritance? It kept the thought in my mind for a long time, because fans are old enough to remember these were the dark times for Star Wars fandom. From about the end of the Kenner line from 1985 into the early 90s, there just wasn't anything George had moved on to do another Indiana Jones movie and was getting ready to do Young Indiana Jones. He was trying his other projects, Howard the Duck, Willow, Radio Land Murders was coming up, which was his first look into uh, CGI sets. And so all these other projects were being done, and you just didn't hear much about concrete news regarding new Star Wars movies. But I kept that issue of Starlog and just read it over and over, with hope that he has ideas. Let's see what happens with them. But everything changed in the spring of 1991 when I was at Walden Books, as I usually was, because I like looking at books and magazines. And on the new release shelf, there was a Star Wars book. And there was Han and Leia and Luke and a couple of new characters. One looked like Ben. There's this blue-skinned guy. Heir to the Empire, and it said, first in a three-book cycle. I was like, wait a minute, it's new Star Wars material, what is this? And then I'm reading the brief on the jacket, and I'm like, this is episode seven, for all intents and purposes. And then it's a three-book cycle, there's going to be, this is a new trilogy, this is seven, eight, nine. I was just so thrilled, I bought the book, and... At that time, I, I wasn't much of a reader uh, as far as like big novels. I got into Jules Verne books uh, about a year before that. But I read that in a hurry. I was like, this is great. There's these new characters. And you know, we find out that what Han and Leia and Luke and Lando and everybody are up to years after the fall of the Empire, and it's st still there in some capacity. I told my friends at school, 789, look, there, there's a new book. I let them borrow it. 
they went out and got their copies. This was also around the same time I found out about uh, Splinter of the Mind's Eye, because I had, it was mentioned in Starlog in that ma in that issue, but I didn't really remember it, and had never read it. I found out later that it was an intended sequel to A New Hope if it wasn't successful and they didn't go forward with another movie, i.e. Empire Strikes Back. So it was around that time that I got a copy of that, read that book, it's like, well, there's another story, but these are going even more forward in the future. At the same time, Dark Horse Comics started making Star Wars series, and they began with Dark Empire, which was about Luke being seduced by uh, the Emperor's clone, and what happened with... If I'm remembering the timeline correct, it takes place before Heir to the Empire. So I was thinking, wow, they're really going for it in this era after Return of the Jedi. This is amazing. Uh, what's interesting is there's a scene in Dark Empire where Luke gets um, some of the characters to safety, and it turns out he's not in the room with him. He was force-projecting the whole time. He's still on a different planet. Go figure. But this new material was coming out, and as promised, the second book by Timothy Zahn came out the next year in 1992 in Dark Force Rising. And it, that was great too. I read it quickly. The next year, the last one, uh, The Last Command, came out. <clears throat> but then there were more coming The Courtship of Princess Leia, um, blanking on the other book names. It's been a while. But just all this new material was coming out, and I was so excited. And then from reading, uh, at the time, it wasn't Star Wars Insider at the time, I believe. It was um, whatever Lucasfilm fan magazine it was. They were talking about, yeah, we're doing this new material for the sequel era, but George has asked us to not touch um, Years Before A New Hope, because he may go back and do one through three, so we don't want to contradict that. We can't really touch on the Clone Wars or anything like that. It was around that time that they went thousands of years in the past to do Old Republic. Talk about early Jedi, the Jedi and the Sith. But it was great. We had this new material, so we had something. We may not get the movies, but this was awesome. Uh, personally, I had a great time with some of the video games that came out in the early 90s. Super Star Wars, for those of you who remember, was a great game. Uh, it was on the Super Nintendo that I played. The Super, uh, Super Star Wars was a little rough. Super Empire Strikes Back was even better. You could do more moves. Luke, Luke could learn Force powers. Super Return of the Jedi. A little bit harder, I thought, but it's still fun. And it had the soundtrack in it, so you could immerse yourself in battle battle in the snow again while you're f flying a snow speeder around in ATAT's legs. I bought the soundtracks again. I think I had them on tape back when I was a kid, but I was in high school band at the time and just bought up any instrumental soundtrack I could. That's what I listened to in my car. And it was great to have Star Wars in my life again. 
Um, it got even better in 1995 because that's when they started to re uh, release new Kenner figures. Legendarily, these are the muscular, unproportioned figures where Luke look, looks more like Lex Luger, and Darth Vader looks like Superman with all the muscles underneath. I didn't care. They were new Star Wars figures. As nostalgic as I was for the old ones, these were better because they actually held their lightsabers. They didn't telescope out of their arm. And they simply re-released the vehicles so I could get new versions of those. I was thrilled. But this was also around the time that we started to get concrete news that movies may be coming. Uh, it's well known that once George Lucas saw Jurassic Park or during the production process he thought the CGI process to make these dinosaurs I, that's what I need for my new movies because I want them to be more expansive as I said he had tried digital sets in Radioland Murders which isn't a great movie but if you're trying to watch all Lucas's films to see his evolution as a filmmaker it's an interesting view Check it out. I don't even know if it's on DVD. But then... It started to become concrete. There's plans for episode 1, 2, 3. Episode 1 should be out by the end of the decade. I, I, I was amazed. I just could not believe it. That we're, this was going to happen. After all these years of hope. In 1996, when we got Shadows of the Empire... It hasn't aged that well, but at the time, I was just so thrilled that we, this massive multimedia project came out where we got a new Star Wars story, but it had the familiar characters. For those of you who don't know, Shadows of the Empire came out... It, was, it took place between The Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. So it was about Luke and Leia and Lando in their pursuit of Boba Fett, trying to re rescue Han, but also dealing with some other adversaries... The great thing was, you got the same story, but from different perspectives in different avenues of media. Uh, there was a novelization, which focused on our main characters and uh, their adventures. Then you had a comic series, which focused on Boba Fett trying to outrun the other bounty hunters while he got the carbonite-encased Han Solo to Jabba the Hutt. Then they also had a video game, which was one of the anchor games of the new... N64, um, which focused on a new character named Dash Rendar, who was kind of a replacement for Han. He even flew a, another Krillian ship, not a YT freighter like the Millennium Falcon. It was called the Outrider. Um, you got a new villain named Prince Shizor, who was a member of Black Sun, which we got to see later on in Clone Wars. And he was kind of a foil for Darth Vader trying to gain the favor of the Emperor back before we found out like the true nature of the Emperor being in the Sith. I enjoyed it. It was new characters. It was a lot of fun. They even put out a soundtrack. Uh, it wasn't done by John Williams. It was done by a guy named Joel McNeely. But they, it was as if the book was a novelization of a, a Shadows of the Empire movie and they made a soundtrack to go with it. And it was really cool. I got to listen to new Star Wars music. Uh, it was the first time where it was um, had vocals. 
It's very operatic, particularly for Prince Shizor's theme and uh, the big battle at the end of the movie, which took place on Coruscant, which, this is before we ever see it on screen, um, but the Imperial capital slash city planet had already been established in the novelizations. Um, George, um, in the early drafts of The Return of the Jedi, when that's where the Death Star was going to be built, uh, it was called Had Abaddon, um, and then when Timothy Zahn started his trilogy of books, that's when it was named Coruscant, so it stuck. Uh, I think George said in a interview that, well, it's already been named, so we'll just we'll just go with that instead of retconning it. So you know, the ending of the book is a massive battle. It's also the um, final mission on the game. They they released figures and vehicles for the project too. So 1996 was great because you got all this new stuff and in conjunction with like a video re-release of the original trilogy a year before Star Wars was starting to be everywhere again after all these years and people were really digging it. Then we came to the special editions in the spring of 1997 when they added the CG modifications um, I don't need to go into that here, everybody knows the Han shot first and adding Jabba and redoing the music in Return of the Jedi changed, took out Yub Nub um, it, when, I think it was pretty obvious that George thought the 6 was going to be in the series because he put the more definitive ending with the different planet celebrations that's fine. It's still it's still good, especially even when they added Naboo later on. But to watch all the movies again in the theater was so great. It took me back. I had uh, a couple of years before that seen A New Hope. It was just a one-time deal on a Saturday morning at the theater. That was the first time I remember seeing that in the theater, and that was amazing. But to see Empire on the theater again and Jedi especially, because I still had vivid memories of being six and seeing that. So to see all those again on the big screen was a great opportunity, and you had the younger fans who had never experienced that. They just grew up seeing it on video. So it was a great cultural experience for everybody that that spring. I actually managed to watch all three on the same day, but... Of course, they weren't showing at the same theater, so I had to go to one theater to watch Star Wars, drive about two miles to another theater to watch Empire, and then drive back to the original theater to see Return of the Jedi. But I got to see them all on the same day, so I can't complain. But then you saw what he could do, like it or not, what he could do with CGI. So you knew there were going to be some amazing visuals in the prequels. It was that summer they started filming episode one, and I was 20. The internet was a thing then, or the World Wide Web. So there was no shortage of access to all this information about, oh, what, what new characters are we going to get? You know, where, where does it take place? They had already established it was, uh, it's about 35, 36 years before New Hope. So Darth Vader is about eight, Anakin is. And so they announced the casting that 
young Jake Lloyd was going to be Anakin and Natalie Portman. I think if they didn't say it, it was pretty obvious that she was going to be the character that became Luke and Leia's mom, and Ewan McGregor as young Obi-Wan. Liam Neeson was a great addition to the cast to kind of get it get the trilogy started as Qui-Gon. And just the stroke of brilliance that Ian McDermott, having played the Emperor at a relatively young age, just with the makeup, all those years ago, was the right age to play Senator Palpatine in Episode One. I thought that was amazing. I always figured they would recast it. I didn't think they could bring him back and it would work out, but it did. I remember going on the internet to find spy photos when they were filming in Tunisia, and you saw it looked like Liam Neeson. Uh, he's kind of wearing a Jedi outfit, but not really. And you can see that he's got a light prop, lightsaber prop. He's fighting this dark warrior. Is who is that? You know, it's, it's another dark Jedi. We weren't sure how they were going to handle Sith and Jedi at the time. We didn't know about the rule of two, so the speculation was just off the chart. And then you would get production leaks, like the the character names they used on set. And then, I remember they revealed there's going to be characters named Darth Sidious and Darth Maul. And you're like, wait a minute, that's a first name? It's a title? That was, that was brand new. We it, it had always been the Emperor. We didn't think that he was a Sith. And it was changing our perspective of the whole saga. But as they more information leaked out, we got the trailer in the fall of 1998. I went to see a lot of people. I know a lot of people went to see Meet Joe Black. I actually saw it in front of Enemy of the State with Will Smith. That was the first time I saw it with a crowd, and it was amazing. That there's a brand new Star Wars film with all new characters on up there. It's going to happen. I went to see Wing Commander to see the full trailer in the spring of 99. Um, that was before internet ticket purchase, so I stood. I had to wait in line a week before the movie came out just to buy the advance tickets that night. And I bought... There were probably four showings that first hour at midnight. This was before they did 7 p.m. premieres the night before. I got into, I got tickets for the 12.30 show, and then I bought tickets for three more showings the, the later that day so I could, I could see it multiple times, and I would just have different people show up so I could see it with them. I was a graduate student at the time and <clears throat> was uh, actually getting paid for being a graduate assistant. So I had nothing better to do that summer. I thought, I'm just going to spend my disposable income on seeing this movie. I also waited in line midnight at Toys R Us on uh, the first night they sold the action figures. I didn't, I didn't care what the merchandise was, and they had everything that year. They, George did go for a little overkill. He thought, we can put Star Wars on anything and people will buy it. I didn't buy everything, but I bought all the figures, um, the accessories, the... The figures, the creatures. I was so ready for this. It had been, at, it was 16 years since Jedi, and I was so ready to just be a Star Wars fan again, full blown. To see it opening night, I went 
I wouldn't say I had tears in my eyes, but just to sit there and watch a brand new Star Wars film for the first time since I was six was just an incredible moment. I had to share it with everybody in the theater. Got to do it those other times the rest of the uh, rest of the day. I wound up seeing it 17 times that summer. I don't regret any uh, any one of those viewings. Uh, episode two and three were a little more subdued because um, I had finished college and I uh, was got married. So the hype for episode two, I mean, of course they had the set leaks and he's like, oh, Hayden Christensen's playing Anakin now. He's older and here's here's what he's wearing. Oh, he's it's darker Jedi outfit. Is he already turning? And then adding Christopher Lee as this new character and Jimmy Smith is coming along as Bell Organa. There's just more speculation. It was a little more concrete than episode one because we had no idea where they were going with it. But at least you had an idea what was going on with the galaxy at the time. And then, wait, the clones are stormtroopers in the future? Is that's that's We didn't expect that. You know, you, I remember there was early speculation that the Jedi were the clones, that Obi-Wan was a clone designation. We, we just had no idea. So it was a little surprising when we found out that the clone troopers were early stormtroopers. Went to see episode two on opening night with my brother-in-law. Pe- people can say what they want about the prequels. It, it was just an amazing experience to be in there. Uh, what they did with Coruscant in all the movies, and I could only imagine it when I was you know, playing Shadows of the Empire, just to see that this complex city planet with all this traffic on screen was just incredible. And what they did with Yoda, because you never expected this little green puppet to be able to do that. Uh, it was great. Um, move on to episode three. More of the same. You you know where the story's going. You know... Okay. Anakin and Obi-Wan have to have this huge fight. The, the Jedi have to be gone by the end of this movie. But then it started to sink in that this is the last Star Wars movie. He's pretty much said it's, it's the rise and fall of Darth Vader and his ultimate redemption. This is the story I'm telling. So this is probably it. So it was a very bittersweet feeling going into the spring of 2005 so ready for like a, just a war movie to see the final stages of the Clone Wars and to see what's bound to be this epic fight between two friends what happens to Padme do we, when do we see the twins born you know how does Palpatine finish becoming the Emperor that wasn't a huge spoiler I know years later when I would show my son the first three. He was surprised that Palpatine was the uh, was Darth Sidious, but we all knew. And just to see his progression. Yeah, but we didn't know how that final turn was going to happen where he became disfigured. So there was so much cool stuff we were waiting for. I went opening night with a bunch of my friends who were Star Wars geeks like me. That was the first time I got to go to the movie not so much with family, but with friends who were just going to go insane with me when we saw things on screen. I would argue that 
Revenge of the Sith has the best opening. When you have the drums pounding as the crawl goes away and it zooms down to Coruscant, and you've got the Republic cruiser, the two Jedi starfighter fly in, and a military version of the Jedi theme, or the Force theme, kicks in. And then they do the spin, and the music crescendos right when they go into the battle. That was amazing. I, I loved the way he went, having the big battle right at the beginning. No lead-in. And as he said it was going to, it became a very personal movie after that. But it was an amazing start to the movie, and you're just in it. The, the great thing when I was watching Revenge of the Sith is you knew what the ending was going to be, where we had to go with the story because I've seen the next three. But you could see during the movie where it could have gone, where the happy ending was, but it, they couldn't do it because of consequences. And that's what made that movie great. And when you get to the final shot with Owen and Beru holding baby Luke, you're like, that was satisfying. That's, that's it. I just saw my last Star Wars movie. So, yes, I bought the figures again and uh, built my collection, but it really did feel like the end. I had kind of gotten away from all the books and comics uh, by this time because it just became too voluminous for me to keep up with. I never fully read the Yuuzhan Vong arc. I bought Vector Prime just because I heard they killed off Chewbacca in the books, so he's, he's dead in the future. And I knew, like, the fates of the Solo kids and stuff like that, but just in broad strokes. I, it just became too much for me. I never played uh, Knights of the Old Republic, even though my friends told me it was amazing. Um, so I guess I kind of accepted the closure when Revenge of the Sith left the theaters. And then you heard rumblings, oh, we might do an anime, uh, a live-action series uh, about the Star Wars Underworld. You know, you, you heard, like, just random random ideas. I never really thought they would do 789, even though you always thought, well, maybe. I guess I just doubted they could bring back the big three. Because Mark Hamill had become so famous doing uh, voice work. He's the Joker. Um, he did that great turn on the flash um, and he was just had other work to do Carrie Fisher became very accomplished as a writer she was an extremely well spoken person um, I bought her audiobook uh, it was the last one she did The Princess Diarist and she, she read the book and she was just an amazing uh, orator and so they both had work Harrison Ford I mean you knew he probably didn't want to come back to the role of Han. He was leaving that behind because he had other more serious work that he had done. So you just never thought that everything would work out for this to happen. And I was fine with that by this point. I was had moved on with my life. I had re married a, again, settling down, kind of doing a career change. So I enjoyed what Star Wars had given me, but I was kind of ready to let it go. Uh, but then they announced uh, the Clone Wars series and the, the Clone Wars movie. But this was right when I was getting ready to go back to school. 
So I missed a chance uh, to camp out, even though I didn't, it wasn't necessary, uh, to camp out to see the Clone Wars. Uh, a good friend of mine who uh, was as much of a Star Wars fan as me um, thought we should do that since you know we, we hadn't uh, met before any of the other movies came out. We hadn't, didn't have a chance to do it. But I had moved away by then. So I didn't get to do it. Didn't see it for. It might have been. It wasn't until it was released on Blu-ray, so it might have been a, at least a year. I didn't have time to even get started with the series, even though I was starting to hear good things about it on IGN and other websites. It was probably close to the end of the series run when I went back and got deals on the the Blu-rays for the CS season sets I thought okay I'll catch up on it because they say it does count um, what what we did in it you know we made sure that everything fit between Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith but I finally did catch up on it and I thought it, I thought it was really well done it's like oh cool they um, went here with these characters and Anakin got a, an apprentice yes she was annoying at the beginning but Ahsoka Tano just grew as a great character and you started to you know, empathize with her and enjoy her more and they brought back Darth Maul so he could have the revenge arc against Obi-Wan and of course the incredible Mandalorian arc with Obi-Wan and Satine there's just so much good stuff in there and the way uh, Ahsoka leaves the Order uh, that that's, that's powerful stuff um I can't remember exactly when they did the Lost episodes. It, you see, that would no, that was in 2014. So, the major event had already happened. As much as I thought Star Wars was over, everything changed on October 30th, 2012, when they announced that Disney bought Lucasfilm from George, and he was retiring, and that they were going straight ahead with episodes 7 through 9 and standalone movies. I, I cannot even properly put into words how momentous that day was. When I got the news, and to see the reactions on Twitter at the time, it was incredible. Like, Star Wars is back, and they're going for it. They're bringing back the original crew to it, participate in it in some way in the new movies and I could not believe it episode 7 by then had become like a unicorn it was so mythical and unattainable that here it is in a press release we're doing episode 7, it's coming out and then let the speculation commence, what's going to happen it was just an amazing time <clears throat> and um, my first son had recently been born so I thought, his generation is going to know Star Wars again, and it's incredible. The lead-up was, it reminded me of the prequels build-up somewhat, but it was it was different because you were going to get, they said, okay, we're bringing back the, the big three, so you're going to get the nostalgia, but here's here's these new actors, John Boyega and Daisy Ridley and Adam Driver, you know, they're going to be playing new characters. So, just that mix of old and new piqued our interest. 
and since it's not a story that you know has to happen like the, the fall of the Jedi Rise of the Empire type thing you don't know where they're going to go with it plus the fact they said okay all the books that were released before the Disney purchase they're legends now they don't, they don't count and I was okay with that since I hadn't been as a completist as some other people I know some people hold the legends material very dear uh, I follow people on Twitter who are, love the X-Wing series and uh, the Old Republic and everything. I appreciate that. It's important storytelling. But I like that they were going with a clean slate and that you didn't know what was coming in 789. And also these standalone movies that they were talking about. What's going to happen here, you know? There was just so much to digest. It was amazing. So, once we got more information, okay, it's 30 years later, here's these characters, here's Han, Luke, and Leia, Chewie, R2, and 3PO. I, yeah, I, it's kind of a loss for words, you know, like, I'm going to see episode 7, it's coming. It was, it was one of those things where you, you just couldn't believe it, but you were so glad it was happening. And then they announced, all right, uh, we're going to do a movie about the theft of the Death Star plans. It's what's in the crawl. That's the plot. That's amazing. We get to see that. So we'll see, you know, regular stormtroopers and Star Destroyers and stuff like that again, the Rebels. So one of the great things about this era, I have re reconnected with people I went to high school with who knew me as the nerd that I was back then, they, they saw me reading Heir to the Empire and everything, and saying, look, there might be more movies, I read Starlog. And they're like, well, we'll just stick with, you know, super playing Super Star Wars and listen to the soundtrack, that's all we got. And so, I went with a couple of them to see Episode 7 on opening night, and I was six years old again. You know, just the nostalgia of seeing Han and Leia on screen together and, you know, Luke at the end. You're waiting the whole movie. Like, Where, where's Luke? We know he's in it. Oh, he's at the he's at the end, and it's a big shock. Uh, it's a cliffhanger. That's great. But they did such a good job building up these new characters that we've grown to love. Ray and Finn and Poe and Kylo Ren. And the moment when Ray catches a lightsaber, I cheered. I didn't care who heard me around uh, around my seat, but I was like, they just did a great job building up this character. And I was so excited at the route they went. I was like, it satisfied my nostalgia, but it gave me all these beautiful new characters, and the future is so bright for, for everything. And then a year later, we get Rogue One. I went with even more of my old high school friends. That that was just a great experience that whole night. The 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 night we saw Rogue One is probably my favorite nostalgic feeling of the Disney era. So many old friends, and we get to see. In, in many ways, an, an original trilogy film. 
even though it had prequel elements, which I appreciated. I was so glad they brought back Bail Organa. Jimmy Smith's and Mon Mothma doing that one scene was probably my favorite in the movie. But we're all right there watching this movie with familiar things and all the twists, like who's going to die, who's going to make it out. And of course the ending. I've never been in a film, especially a Star Wars film, where the ending just crescendoed with Vader in the hallway and the escape, and you realize this is the Tantive V4, and then he's given the plans to Leia, just like you could feel the excitement of the crowd building as we got to the Tantive V4 jumping to hyperspace, and we were cheering like mad people by then. Just the uh, excitement in that room I'll never forget. Also around that time, we got Star Wars Rebels. I had not, as I said, watched Clone Wars when it was actually on. I did wrap it up with the Lost Episodes, with Loda, uh, with Yoda going to Moraband and um, Order 66 being discovered, but the wraps being put on it. But here we are, this brand new series with these new Rebel characters. You know, it takes place a few years before A New Hope, so maybe it'll we'll see some familiar stuff and my son was getting old enough to watch Disney shows like that so that was our first shared experience his first favorite Star Wars character was Ezra Bridger and we got to enjoy those episodes as they came live and we had to wait but you know between seasons and everything was going to happen you know they brought back Ahsoka and you get these the Inquisitors and these other great new characters. It was just a great blend of old from the Clone Wars and building towards what we know is going to happen in A New Hope. But also, that's when I started to discover uh, Star Wars podcasts because I listened to shows that did episode reviews and uh, also the uh, Rebels Recon that would come on with Andy Gutierrez after each episode. I was like, this is great. You, know, you get your episode, and then you can kind of digest what you just saw and hear other people talk about it. That, in many ways, inspired what I'm doing right now, because I want to be like that when Resistance starts. But I thought it would be important to talk about who I am as a Star Wars fan first. Hope you're still with me at this point, because I feel like I haven't been rambling, but when you've lived Star Wars your whole life, there's a lot to talk about. I haven't even mentioned the re-release of Marvel Comics that they got because Marvel's also under Disney. They have the Star Wars license again. So we get amazing new stories. They redid what happens after A New Hope with the main line and Darth Vader finding out he has a son. That scene is in the comic books. You get the amazing Lando series where he's meddling in some of Palpatine's stuff and they introduced one of the great new characters in Star Wars, Dr. Afra. Can't say enough of good things about her. And the novels that have come out since then, so many great ones. I will talk about those because some of them are very important to understanding who we'll see in Resistance. I will get to that next week. So I don't need to touch on the novels here. We got to Episode 8. 
I was had suspicion just because I had seen some of Ryan Johnson's previous work that we were in for something shocking. But I don't think any of us were ready for that. I know some people weren't ready and don't like it. They have problems with it. That's fine. I loved The Last Jedi. I loved the risks that were taken. The unconventional ways to get to the end of the story. As soon as the lightsaber went through Snoke and Kylo and Rey were fighting the guards, I thought, wow, he did not go where I expected, but this is awesome. And Holdo taking the ship into hyperspace, Luke's sacrifice on Crate, what it means to the galaxy, inspiring people like Tamiri on Crate on Canto Bite. I, I love that movie so much. And that was another thing that inspired me to be doing this podcast because as much as I liked episode seven, episode eight solidified my love for the sequel era with what the First Order was doing in Resistance, because I had already read about their background in the book and how they came to be, but to see the battles they had in that movie, I bought in. And then, only a few months later, we get Solo. Solo is very important to me because it was the first Star Wars movie I got, I got to see in the theater with my child. Uh, my son was five at the time. He dressed up as Han, even darkened his hair so he would look exactly like him. And that took me back to being six years old with my dad taking me to Return of the Jedi. Everything had come full circle, and it was amazing. A week after that, we went to Disney World. I hadn't been in 30 years long before the Star Wars purchase. They were building Hollywood Studios the last time I was there, so I had never ridden Star Tours. Hadn't done any of that. I knew about it. But to go with my son and my infant son at the time, my wife was very accommodating to let us just go crazy with the Star Wars stuff. Uh, on our day at Hollywood Studios, we rode Star Tours three times, the Avatar ride is better as a ride, but just the emotional connection I had with Star Tours was so great. The character experiences, getting to hug Chewie and my son facing off against Kylo Ren and the Stormtroopers and meeting BB-8. Just seeing all the displays, the exhibits, the merchandise. Captain Phasma and her parade. Uh, the little show they do on the center stage. I'm just so thankful to Disney for bringing it back that I get to experience this, feel like a kid again, watch it through my son's eyes, and it's brought us here. We get a new animated series this fall, Star Wars Resistance. I'll start talking about it next episode, but needless to say, I'm, I'm very excited because I love this era. We're going to get... Poe and Captain Phasma and all these f familiar characters, but we're going to get some new Resistance pilots, and 
hopefully some interesting new First Order characters. There's even more to come. Episode 9 is on the way. We're going to get a resolution to this trilogy. We know there's other movies coming. We don't yet know what they are. I'm beyond excited for Ryan Johnson to, to create a new trilogy. Can't wait to see what uh, Benny Hoff and Weiss from Game of Thrones um, come up with. I'm guessing Old Republic. That's just my guess. Uh, we'll see if there's more standalones. John Favreau has a new live-action series, that long-rumored one. We'll be on the Disney streaming service next year. Galaxy's Edge is opening at the Disney parks next year, where you can immerse yourself in that era. I'm going to talk about more about that. It's just exciting that all the little nuggets I got from three films as a kid has built up to this massive universe that we can all uh, appreciate. So if I haven't lost you by now, that's who I am as a Star Wars fan. I hope you'll listen in as I start talking about Resistance. My next episode will be speculation about the series. Who's in it? When does it take place exactly? I'll, I'll, I'll help explain what, what timeline we're looking at. Um, they've, they've already announced the cast. We don't know all the characters. I'm recording this the week of San Diego Comic-Con. We may have more information later in the week. If that's the case, I'm going to do another episode just talking about what we found out. After the speculation episode, I plan to do a, an episode where I do book review of the two major books that are in, set in this era, and that is Bloodline and Phasma. There's characters in those books that I hope we see in the series. So I felt it important to do a book review and um, dive more into the, um, the state of the galaxy from those books' perspective. Uh, there is an excellent uh, comic series about Poe Dameron that is about to come to an end. I need to catch up on that, actually, but I thought that would be worthy of an entire episode. Uh, because since Resistance is about the pilots, it seems to be, that it would be important to talk more about Poe and his crew. Again, if there's any Comic-Con news, I will break that. There should be a trailer at some point. There will be a trailer, uh, trailer breakdown. And if any materials come out where that are worthy of a review that may hint at the sequel era, uh, the new Thrawn Alliances book, by Timothy Zahn is coming out next week. There may be hints of things to come, so if there's anything important, I'll mention that. But I have been talking for almost an hour, so I'm going to wrap this episode up. Thank you for listening. I hope you'll tune into my next episode where we get into the actual series. You can find me on Twitter at Radio Dakar. That is R-A-D-I-O-D-Q-A-R. For those of you who don't know, Dakar was the planet where the Resistance base was located in Force Awakens at the beginning of Last Jedi in the Ilenium system. It was never mentioned on screen, but it's been shown on other media. So I thought it would be a nice homage to that base, even though we may not see it on the series. The, the Resistance may have multiple bases before they get there. I thought that would be an appropriate name for the show. Thank you for listening. Hope to see you next time, and may the Force be with you.